Pirates and Brewers played last night at PNC Park. Anyone want to talk about that? No? Okay. Good morning, then. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates, whether you like it or not. And it comes your way bright and early every weekday morning. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins. Right where you found this, Luis Oviedo had his brains beaten out last night in that 148 to nothing victory by the first place crew. Officially, eight runs, six earned on five hits, three walks, home run. Rule five kid forced into a spot start because Tyler Anderson was traded earlier in the evening or he wasn't because then there was a hang-up about physicals and all kinds of other stuff swirling around the Pirates because even once Anderson is traded, and he will be traded, if it isn't to Philadelphia, it'll be to somebody else, you're still going to see Richard Rodriguez moved, maybe Chris Stratton, maybe even Chad Cool. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, literally, to come between now and the 4 p.m. Friday trade deadline. So, want to talk about something else? Let's give that a shot here. Still Pirates and all. But stay with me. It's kind of worth it. It's neat. The Pirates yesterday signed their 14th round pick an 18-year-old outfielder named Braylon Bishop, who's fairly highly regarded, wasn't universally expected to sign coming out of his high school in Arkansas and thus had fallen in the draft. If that sounds like a familiar story, that's that's been the case for a lot of these overslot guys that the Pirates have taken. So... With the signing of Bishop, if you go back to Baseball America's top 100 prospects entering the draft, they had the Pirates' first pick, Henry Davis, at number four. Others had him at one, two, three, whatever. B.A. is the one that you you really want to lean on for this sort of thing. This is like all they do, and they've been doing it forever. So Henry Davis is at number four. The lefty, Anthony Solomito, is at number 28. The outfielder, Lonnie White Jr., who they just basically stole away from Penn State football, is at 32. And Bubba Chandler, the shortstop, who they basically stole away from Clemson football, was at number 20. So out of those four guys who I gave you in the order that the Pirates selected them, All were in Baseball America's top 32. Four out of the top 32 selections, basically. If you had to take all other factors out of it, signability and everything else, these four would be basically first-round picks. It's like getting four first-rounders. Bishop comes in, and even though he, too, was a 14th rounder and late because, again, a lot of teams didn't think he was going to be signing with anybody, that he was just going to go to college. 
Bishop was ranked number 87 by Baseball America. So now you're up to five players in the top 87 of the class. So even if you want to be cynical and say, well, not all these things are the same, and you know, there's others that would have had uh, Bishop or that player or whatever lower, you could still make a very sound argument that the Pirates got five of the 100 best amateur players in North America added into their system in a single swoop. Look, I'm not one of those people that plans parades off of a draft. As I've been saying all along, this is the least predictable of all the drafts in sports. A lot of different things can go wrong. But the best way, the healthiest way to mitigate against that is to factor in numbers. And that's been Ben Charrington's stated goal that gets realized again and again and again. Because instead of putting everything into the number one overall pick and saying, we're going to get this, we're going to get the best player and we're going to show everybody that we spend money, even though they're spending all of the draft money regardless. He took the infinitely more pragmatic approach, working with Davis, still getting, according to them, if you believe them, you can choose not to, the number one player on their actual baseball board. And then all this, all this. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by the North Shore Tavern directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's the home of Steak on a Stone, the home of the planet's only fully dedicated pirate sports bar. Has to be seen to be believed. Great place not just to stop before or after a game, which is what most people do, but also to come down whenever the team's on the road. The TVs will be tuned in to the ball game you can watch with other fans. North Shore Tavern, directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. And I feel obligated to add to this discussion in a non-joyful, non uh celebratory way of any kind because it involves a young athlete getting injured. But the Mets drafted Kumar Rocker 10th overall. Remember when everybody was got to take Kumar Rocker, got to take him. Why? Because we saw him on TV. He looked like a real person. He looked kind of like CC Sabathia, actually. And it was very exciting to watch him. And you could visualize him pitching for the Pirates. You could visualize him pitching for the Pirates at the same time. You know? Because he has that big build. And you heard and read after that all these wonderful things about him. And then his stock started falling. And wondering, what's going on here? What happened to Kumar Rocker? Everybody loved him. And then all you heard was that he's now he's out of the top one. Out of the top three, out of the top five even. Well, the Mets took him at 10th overall. 
And the Mets and Rockers representatives had, over the past weekend, achieved an agreement, underscoring agreement here, not a signing, to pay him a $6 million bonus. A physical. And you know how sometimes you hear that phrase, pending a physical, and you don't take it all that seriously? The people in the game take it drop dead seriously. There is no contract. There is nothing to discuss until there is a physical. And that goes double for an amateur who's coming into the pro ranks for the first time and being examined in a way that they hadn't been before. Well, Rockers got an elbow issue, according to the Mets. The people on the Rocker side disagree. Of course they disagree. There's $6 million on the line. But it's the Mets who are holding the pen to sign this contract. And the Mets don't even have to push this contract across the table. And they might or might not. Or they'll agree to a much, much smaller figure. Or that's it for Rocker. And he just goes back to Vanderbilt for his junior year. And he can try to get drafted again in 2022. Assuming his camp is right that he is in fact healthy and wouldn't require you-know-what surgery. The reason that I point this out, other than the obvious, is that the Pirates would have dodged a bullet here, is that both Rocker and Jack Leiter, the two pitchers at Vanderbilt that a lot of people around here had fallen in love with, primarily for the same reason I mentioned earlier, because they'd actually seen them and learned their names, both had really ugly pitch counts a lot of the times for the Commodores. Tim Corbin is one of those old-school managers who's not sitting back uh, and counting every little throw and worrying about whether or not he's protecting somebody for the next level. Major League people are driven completely batty by most college coaches, so Corbin isn't the exception. College coaches are trying to win the game right in front of them, the season right in front of them, and they're not worried what happens to that kid when he goes to A ball and double A ball. They'll tell you otherwise. Corbin was one of the people sitting on the set of MLB Network whenever the draft was going on live, and I thought at some point one of these panelists was going to say, Hey, Tim, what? Why did you have Rocker and Leiter running up pitch counts of 130 in games that didn't even matter? Meaning regular season games that they had way under control. That's, that's something that if you're a major league team that's in this position that the Pirates were in, you are absolutely weighing this. You're absolutely considering this. And you're worried not just about Rocker, who's the bigger dude and you would think would be able to handle it, although Rocker started to show significant dips in velocity as the season went along, but that you'd be twice as worried about Lighter. And look, I, I, I'm going to say it again. I hope nothing but the best for both Rocker and Lighter, both of whom seem like outstanding citizens 
in addition to everything else. I hope Leiter goes on to a brilliant career in Arlington, Texas. But the point here is risk versus reward. The Pirates significantly diminished their risk by taking the players that they did, and they big time multiplied their chances of a reward by getting the quantity that they did. This is going to be fun watching these kids grow up. When we come back, just one question. time for just one question and today's comes from Brady who asks why don't the Pirates consider taking on an albatross contract like Eric Hosmer's for example to try and pry more value out of a trade we have the payroll space to eat a year or two of that well Brady the first thing to point out there is that the Pirates did in the Adam Frazier trade with the Padres, send roughly $1.4 million to San Diego, an amount that was intended to reduce Adam Frazier's pay to league minimum. That was deemed necessary on the Padres' end because the Padres were trying to stay under the luxury tax threshold. So the Pirates found, you know, like you said, they have money, right? Payroll space is a funny way to put it, but I know exactly what you meant there. If only it was a salary cap issue that we'd be talking about. So they did put money into this deal, and they did, according to a source who told me out in San Francisco, do that for the purpose of upgrading the class of prospect that they'd get in return. I've seen, heard, and read already the Pirates getting criticized for including this money in the deal because the return, and I found it underwhelming myself, wasn't deemed enough by a lot of people. And way more amusingly than that, I also saw, heard, and read a lot of people getting upset that the Pirates received cash in the deal, which was completely untrue. But that's just the nature of how it goes with people who casually follow the Pirates and really, for the most part, don't like them. The Pirates could do more of what you're describing, but there aren't that many teams that are in that position. Um, If you look around baseball right now, There are some teams that are spending over their heads. Uh, The Padres are definitely one of those. The Reds are another. You wouldn't be doing them any favors, not because they're in the division, but just because they're the Reds. But I'd say the main reason that you wouldn't want to do stuff like this is because, well, finances still are a consideration here. And and I'm going to explain what I mean by that because it sounds awful. But you've already got... Gregory Polanco that you're paying $11 million for this year, you're going to have to pay another 
$3 million to buy out his contract for next year, which would be $12 million. There's no way they're paying that. He's going to get bought out. So right off the bat, you're sitting on $14 million that you got to eat. The Pirates did eat close to $18 million in total to get rid of Neil Huntington, Kyle Stark, and Clint Hurdle, plus some additional amount and a significant one to get rid of Frank Coonley. So you're talking about another $20 million right there, which, by the way, doesn't count into anybody's payroll figures. And then there's something that's more important than either of those things. And that is that if you believe the Pirates from the very top, meaning Bob Nutting, and I know that the percentage of you who do that is exactly 0.00, but I'm going to throw this out there anyway. If you believe Nutting when he says that the money will be there uh, when when the time is right, you also have to understand that it's Ben Charrington that's making the financial calls right now. It really is. Now, that doesn't mean that Charrington could next year flip the payroll to $200 million. I'm not being an idiot here. But what Charrington and Travis Williams and Nutting have discussed, and discussed before either of those two gentlemen were hired, was that the money would be fluid based on X number of years. In other words, whatever you aren't spending now below a certain threshold becomes available to you later. Now, you're going to want to know what that figure is. I have no earthly idea. If I knew, it would be a giant blaring headline across the top of DK Pittsburgh Sportsman. I'd maybe keep it up there for seven straight days, okay? I don't know what that is. I don't even know that there is a hard, firm, or fast figure to this. I do know that there is an understanding that you don't spend when you don't need to. And right now, look at this roster. Look at this performance. Look at what happened last night at PNC Park. You're not pouring short-term money into that. What you're going to do is go find some John Nagowskis. And you're going to try to get through it as best as you can while making your younger players better and stronger along the way. But what you don't want to do in the interim is just burn the cash senselessly. One more time, I'm saying that based on you believing that this will all come to pass. You are well within your rights for not believing that. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one of these tomorrow, maybe after a whole bunch more trades and stuff. (laughs) 